You want to know how close I am to quitting my day job? Uh, I'd assume very close. If you had any other line of to get money, even if it's like half of what you make now, probably just do it. Well, that brings me to this part of the whatever I'm talking about. Um, I started looking up freelance gigs again because, mm. like you just said, if I if I had even half the money I make now, then maybe I would, you know, not work there anymore. Well, I uh, the with the freelance gigs, I was looking up all the. There's a lot of places hiring. A lot yeah. of magazines like uh, CBR, uh, you know, the comics. Uh, Looper was hiring a bunch of them. And I was looking at some of the articles for their, because they require so much certain article experience or whatever. It was all stuff I know how to do. Like, I've, I've done all of it before. So I was like, hmm. And most of them were paying $20 a pop, which for a six to 800 words, not too bad. And I was like, well, I guess I'll, you know, apply to Looper because that'll be like easy couple hundred bucks a yeah, month. Yeah, you can just... pretty much talk about like anything on there, right? Yeah. They, they don't really have like a, like, you know, like the CBR, like you kind of got like. comic stuff. Or your nerdy, you know, wrestling. Wrestling. I would like to talk about that stuff too, just, you know, just short articles. Well, when I, I went to, well, it wanted me to fucking sign up for Indeed, which I think I already have an account on there, but I was like, I don't want to sign in. I got, I don't remember my password. So I just bailed on the whole thing, but it's just like, I was looking, and there's like different script writers and movie. There's like so many things that people were looking for now because I guess nobody's writing for money anymore. It just brought back so many bad memories in my freelance days of just like having deadlines for shit. And I'm just, and getting like shit stories or shit ideas forced upon me to write. It's like, hey, we want you to write about fitness in Finland. I'm like, oh man. What does that even mean? <laughs> it's like, I know this isn't going to be a, like, you get, if your article, for anywhere I've worked, if your article goes viral, you always got a bonus. Well, when they assign you articles that you know are no, no matter how good you write it, it's they're nice. not going to go viral. It's like, why am I doing this? I have to put so much research into this shit just for a garbage article. Now, I'm not saying Looper or CBR would be like that or Bleeding Cool Comics even. But at the same time, I feel like the stuff I would have to write about, I would probably have to research, especially the comic stuff, because you don't want to just wing it. It's like, if it's like, oh, what's happening with Batman now? Like, you have to actually go into detail. Like, I was reading some of the articles, and it's like, so many sources linked. I'm like, I don't fucking want to do that. I just feel like, if something's going to take you an hour to do, or two hours to do, I want more than 20 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mainly would just be doing it for the writing credits because, the, like, the one company I fucking wrote for, I had, like, 200, 300 articles on there. I was actually two separate websites on that one, too, because they had, like, a they sister got, site. Oh, didn't they get bought out or something? Yeah, they sold the site, and then the new owner did the biggest dickhead move I've ever seen on the internet. That's not true. But mm-hmm. it was pretty close because that, that, those sites had a lot, and I'm not going to name them because I don't want people to go to them and support it. Uh, they had a lot of traffic and they had a lot of writers. They had fucking just in like my short time there, maybe a hundred writers, like staff writers, uh, which is a lot. Granted, some were, you know, a lot of it was just, uh, freelance, you know, pay as you want, whatever works. And not everything was accepted. My articles just happened to get accepted a lot. So I, like I said, I had like 300 on there, but whoever bought the company just immediately just because it was WordPress just deleted all the writers off there, all the contributors, everything, and then uh, and fired all the editors, too. And then I think he kept one editor, and you know what he did? Put his name on every single article. Oh, wow. And then I looked at, like, a couple months later, and he at least had the dignity to put fake names. Uh, he had two 
fake writer accounts that he would use. So now instead of just his name on everyone, it would be either like Dave or Jessica. Mm. I was like, what a fucking shit thing. To, why wouldn't you just be like, hey, we don't need you guys anymore. We're going to kick you off the Trello. You're, you can't write here anymore. Because it was like the way WordPress works. Like if you're a contributor, you can't just edit random things or, you know, well, you, you submit work to yeah. DBW. Like you, you have to, you just submit it for review. You can't do anything else. So it's not like these people are going to be fucking spamming or breaking into your accounts or hacking anything. So you don't have to delete the rights. You're like, hey, we're not going to have you anymore, but you can keep your profile. Because wouldn't that make it look more professional? And you never know. If your know. site had, you know, hundreds of articles written by various people. And you never know. Like, hey, we don't need you now, but maybe six months from now, yeah. we, might be able to, we might be able to use you. I don't know what that guy's deal was, like what his fucking goal for the company. Because he paid, I think, fifteen or $20,000 for each site. Seems like a lot. So, uh, and then the fucking, the di- which I didn't like the guy I was working hey, for anyway. If anybody wants DPW website, 10 grand. 10 grand. That's, that's fair. I'll take it. All stories included. <laughs> uh, so that guy, the, the, the original owner guy that I, cause he, he did the old, uh, bait and fish cause I was writing for somebody else. He's like, we were like your rent style. We'll, we'll pay you more, man. Come on. He just did a, you know, he's sweet talking me. And I was like, uh, I don't know. And I waited some months and then finally I was like, you know what? Get a little tired of where I'm at. I'll try something because they they had more traffic. They were a bigger place. Moved there, and then he just like it was very strict because the other place I was my own editor. I didn't have editors, but it taught me a lot about writing, especially like online stuff. So I was happy I did it. But like that guy was just such like a dick too, and like sometimes he just like wouldn't like he would pay you, but it was like always like you oh you had to fill out your own fucking you know Excel sheets or something, and it's just, like come on, dude. Like, I wrote this many articles. Just send me a fucking check or something or put it in my PayPal. Like, you don't got to do all this. But he, he, I don't know. He he was like, oh, well, I'm going to think about starting another thing. Would you like to write for me on there? Uh, you could be the head editor. And I said, no, sir. Nope. <laughs> because I uh, got buddies. Buddies with one of the head editors. And he said it was a nightmare working for that guy. They having all that responsibility because he would literally, it was like a full-time job, but you're getting paid, like, you know, pennies on the dollar. So I'd imagine that being, like, the middle... Mid tier manager, yeah, at you know, at a store to where like you have enough responsibility if something bad happens, it falls on you, but you don't have enough responsibility to actually change or do things the way you want done. Be like a garbage shift manager mm. job, like, yeah, we're a manager of a family dollar mm. or something, but like that was like enough of a freelance, like, because I did that for a few years and that was enough to just really sour me on the whole thing. So, and I couldn't, because there was a lot of jobs, too, I've seen over the years of, like, hey, not the, you know, like, the New Yorker, but things like, like, bigger publications hiring, and, like, you look at the way these, they run now, like, the Huffington Post, it's all, like, freelance, pay you 15 bucks for this fucking ridiculously long article you have to write. It's like, you guys are a fucking billion-dollar company, probably. Like, why are you so shitty? Like, you have these big, like, imagine Washington Post wants to hire you to write just as a, like, a freelance contributor, and they're just paying you like fifteen dollars. Meanwhile, their staff writers are getting like sixty grand or something mm. a year. It's like that fuck off. But even like these startup magazines and stuff, I inquired about. It was just like a lot of it you could do from home, and then you have to go in for meetings and stuff. It's like okay, so I could write for this magazine and get the experience, but I'm gonna like you know it's a startup. I'm gonna get paid nothing. And then like the way I always think, it's a fucking magazine. People buy magazines anymore. Yeah, right. No. And then it's like, so is this even gonna come off the ground? Yeah. And it, if not. 
what happens to like it's like it's one thing if you're writing like articles for somebody but if it's like if you're trying to do like a story for a magazine or something and it doesn't even get off the ground it's like oh well then that also puts your story kind of in like a limbo i would imagine well just like the idea of either losing your work or the company just like ends up firing everybody which has happened in a lot of big publications like even if you look at like crack.com they had for like a stretch there were so popular that um like their ad revenue alone probably was crazy. They had a huge staff. They're making all these videos. They had all this stuff, and they actually had great articles. Like they end up getting like they got to the point where people were reading like some of their like uh, human pieces they were doing, like interview people and stuff. And it was almost like, oh, like this could be like something you'd see in the New York Times or something. You know, this is like a mainstream fucking article, even though it's crack.com. It's supposed to be a comedy website. And then, I don't know, I guess sales or somebody bought out the company, I think, is most likely what happened. And you know how these guys, we got to maximize profits and, you know, minimize the employees. So they fired almost everybody, got a bunch of interns and bumped them up to staff writers and, you know, without paid them paying dog them, shit. With, yeah. without paying them anything. Yeah, or paying them diddly. And then it's just like, you got rid of your whole creative team. Now everybody hates crack.com. Like, now what they do is they just get, you know, like on Facebook, they'll ask, oh, what do you hate most about your job? Send us, and you know, you send in why you hate the job, and they make a shitty photo plasty, like a bunch of memes, where it's why you hate your job, and they're not even edited, and it's like, what a garbage site. You can't even go on the website because there's so many ads unless you have ad blockers, so. Like, I feel like anybody that's trying to get into even journalism for, like, these uh, newspapers and stuff, you just have to, it's 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 not worth it, I don't think. Uh-huh. I don't think being any kind of writer like that is, is a good career anymore. Uh, it used to be respectable, and now, like, you know, if you were like, hey, man, I just got published in Rolling Stones, how many people are going to give a shit? That used to be where fucking Hunter S. Thompson worked. Like, people yeah. were like, you know, oh, shit, Rolling Stones, they're doing big things. Like, oh, this is amazing. If you're in Loathing Las Vegas, did you read that? Now it's like, the Rolling Stones, what, aren't they like a super liberal magazine or something? Like, nobody gives a shit. And that's, that's pretty much like everything. Like, the whole publishing industry, I think, is dying. Especially, like, the, and as much as I hate it, I think, like, you know, with the magazine and stuff, that physical aspect yeah, is always, um, is always seem to be dwindling. I mean, like, I, I like my, uh, you know, I like my Kindle and stuff like that, but I, you know, there's some things that I want to have a physical copy of. I find more and more I've just been buying more physical books lately because I don't trust Amazon to keep my shit. True. Because I've seen in the past, they've wiped out whole, like, people's whole libraries, thousands of books they bought, just wiped it out for whatever reason. Uh, and they don't really have to give you a reason, I don't think, because you sign a contract pretty much when you, you know, buy through them. And then I've seen other things where they just deem, like, a book is offensive or whatever it is, they just take it out of the library. So you, you might have bought a book, and then all of a sudden one day it's just not in your library anymore. Like, what the fuck happened? Without a refund. No refund, yeah. So I I wouldn't want to do that, like. And I know you can get like ebook, like I got that Stephen King, all his stuff. It was from like a website that just uh, sold ebooks. I don't know how legal that was. Mm. I mean, at the time, I w- I still don't think you get a license to the whole collection, but I bought it and it works fine. It's all good quality, so you can do that. You can buy or find PDFs and do it yourself. Uh, as uh, we've been experimenting with with like random Conan stories or whatever, just seeing you know Dracula, Dracula. Yeah, I sent you like a cheap one of that or something. I found. Of course, public domain stuff's free anyway. I think, I'm pretty sure you don't have to pay for Dracula, probably. I'm saying you can find these all online for free yeah. somewhere. Like Project Gutenberg has all kinds of things you can read for free, but it always comes out to I don't want to read on my phone or laptop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, so, you know, you can send it to your Kindle, but sometimes the PDFs get wonky when you send them to your Kindle. 
Uh, it has to be like a Mobi file for it to work properly. But we're going to... That's the cold open, guys. Cold open. I guess we'll find out what uh going to talk about hmm. in the episode. Maybe. Start off kind of like a DBS. We should, we, should just do an, we should just do an episode that's just a cold open. The whole cold open? Yeah, but like the, like how it's like, we'll, we'll close in on 15 minutes. It's a 15 minute cold open. And then like that's the end of the episode. I don't know if that's a good idea, Spencer. I didn't say it was a good idea. I just said it was a uh, day. I am getting to the point now where I kind of don't care, so I might do that. No, we'll, we'll do it right because I have to pick a name for you. Got to have a good one this week. You are listening to the Drunk Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Liberian Lesbian Lingerie Loner Church. You're shaking your head. It makes me feel self-conscious. This is going to get us in trouble. No, you're just loaning lingerie to lesbians. lesbians. What's wrong with that? Uh, I don't know. I feel like somebody would be upset about that. The Liberian Lesbian Linguist Church. Now you you speak the language of lesbians. You're a linguist. Not good. I I, I it's it's the lesbian part. I think that people oh, are going to get the lesbian part. I, I think get, that's the part that people not might the take. lingerie. The lesbian. Yeah, I think they might get upset with the lesbian part. Consider how I'm not a lesbian. Spencer, <laughs> the Liberian Laguini Liquor Church. Yeah, uh, uh, people will probably be less offended by that one. Probably. Why would they be offended by the lesbian one? Lesbians Why, are real. Well, I, they are. <laughs> you saying lesbians aren't real? No, they're real. You saying they don't like lingerie? I don't know. I, there's lesbians that like lingerie. I'm sure. There's I'm lipstick sure. lesbians and chapstick lesbians. <laughs> kind the difference. Of, come on. What? Uh, you don't know your lesbian facts. I can say that. I lived with a lesbian for a long time. <laughs> a lot of lesbian friends. Leave me alone. Uh, I'm not saying it'll be the lesbians that get mad. It's going to be the other people that get mad for the lesbians. I hate that. It's like, I hate when people get mad for other people. Let the people who are supposed to be mad get mad, not you, <laughs> random white. It's always like some fucking heterosexual white girl that gets mad for everybody else. I feel like her name's always Brittany. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I don't like it. You know what else I don't like? No. Say something. I, long, awkward pauses that you have to edit out later? Nah, I like this sometimes. It makes me, uh, I, don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, fuck, we were supposed to do an episode about... We already were talking about publishing. I guess we can continue talking about publishing if you want to talk about publishing. If you want to you know, publish well. stuff and talk about publishing. We can talk about... <laughs> I forget what I watched. Oh, it was fucking It's Always Sunny when Dee and Dennis do their own podcast and they literally have nothing to say. <laughs> it's like, oh, how about technology? Yeah, technology's good. Yeah, you know, technology. It's a thing. It's happening. It's out there. It's real. What do you think about it, Dee? Oh, yeah, technology. Yeah, I like technology. Uh, I use it every day. It just like, keeps going. It's like nothing. To, and then they get rickety on there with this fucking... Make them eat lemons. <laughs> I wanted to talk about... Uh, we can talk about some indie publishing for a moment because we have a collection that's very close to being published, I guess. Because uh, you finally submitted your fucking story that we yeah. waited six months for. Uh, so I have to edit that, see where it fits in the collection, and then I have to actually sort the collection because we have like fucking 20 stories in there. Uh, whittle down some maybe. But once that's done, 
I'm going to be looking at paper prices. And here's something that some of you indie authors out there I'm sure have struggled with recently is the paper shortage. Yeah. I would imagine the pay, uh, price of paper has to be higher. If you go through Amazon, it might not be like the KDP or whatever they have. Now, I don't even know. I haven't kept up with it at all. Uh, but I hear a lot of people complain like Amazon's really cracking down on random stuff. So, you know, say you have a title for your book that like Dan Notes. Noakes, he had a Adam and Eve, Bizarre Wonderland. It's an old comic he had. Mm. They took his whole bibliography off of Amazon and banned him from it. For, and they didn't give him a reason. Just said it, it was like something community guidelines or something he broke or something like that because like they wouldn't give him a reason. And he had to call him. He did all the stuff and they still wouldn't reinstate him. And he just thinks maybe... Because like the Adam and Eve part had like sounded like another story or something, something with the title. He thought maybe they thought it was something else. Well, it's, there's also that, and I wouldn't know this. Is people would tell me, but there's that Adam and Eve like porn like production yeah. thing. So maybe like that was like maybe they thought some big company, yeah, like that. Maybe they just uh, doing like YouTube does, where they'll just like you know, randomly well, bad ban or demonetize stuff just based on the algorithm. Well, did you um remember that um Dragon Ball Z video guy that we watched a while ago, that Tilly, not Mark, he had, like, those characters. Yeah. Like, Tilly just, they literally almost just took down almost all of his videos, like 200 and something videos. Why? Because of the being, you know, uh, and not having like look, copyright look, stuff, copyright stuff and demonetization and, and things like I that. I know WWE does that a lot where people so, have wrestling channels and they can't show the wrestling. But there's a, there's also another like Dragon Ball Z guy thing that I want. Like he'll like, he'll, he'll, he's doing like, chapter breakdowns of like the manga when they're still in the Japanese form yeah. rather again like translated and stuff like that so like I don't you know what I mean like, I'm sure it's a lot of like who do you know as well but yeah like now like yeah in the past couple of days he's had almost like almost every uh, one of his videos he's like so his channel's like, pretty much dead yeah for, at least for now it's like two and a half years worth of work just down the drain well no, if you want to fight they used to fight each and in, in every individual case so every video you'd have to go and fucking well, dispute I, I was I was I was skimming through some of the the comments and one of the guys was saying like the other one the other that, that other Dragon Ball Z channel that I watched it was actually saying like I uh, like I think it was like somehow he could like do like a chunk of them and stuff try to get like a chunk of them uh, reinstated but yeah it, that's ridiculous it really sucks too because like if you go that way how do you do movie reviews i always wondered how the music review channels get around that because like i'm sure there's a separate category you could put in uh, i know some of them still get their videos taken down because they play the music that they're listening to and they review it you can't do that a lot of the times, like with movies and stuff, because they don't want you to show the clips. And what I don't get is like, is when people do that for people who are like positively talking about their yeah. product. I could see if somebody was just like, Shit oh yeah, dude, I watched the new Dragon Ball Z movie and it was hot garbage shitty. And even if it was hot but that's garbage the thing. shitty, you could do that. They don't care if you do that. They just don't want you to like show clips and stuff. Yeah, I just don't, I don't know. Like, they don't want you to break down. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's dumb, but so going back to like the Amazon thing, there's like a, so many authors I've seen lately who's just like I lost my whole, you know, because it's not that they'll just remove that one book, but hey, you can't sell this book. We're not gonna tell you why, but you can't sell it. Like it's like all your books, it's like everything, it's your whole account, and if you and do, then you're banned for life too, you can't go back. Wow, I didn't know that. And for most indie authors, that's their main source of sell, like sales. Yeah, because yeah, if you if you get taken off of Amazon, 
Yeah, then like also if you print through them, I must because I think that's what Dan had problems with. I think he had to find a new printer now. Like he couldn't print through Amazon because he got banned. So it's like, what the fuck? Because I wouldn't be surprised if other like like if Barnes and Noble and like and Books a Million wouldn't like if they was having trouble getting books, just wouldn't get it from Amazon. Like you know what yeah. I mean? Just order from Amazon themselves. Like they do a lot of. Bo- well, I don't know if they specific, but I know a lot of bookstores actually get their books from Amazon a lot of the time. Or if they want a special order or something, they just get it off of Amazon. Now, obviously, Barnes and Noble's getting a price cut from publishers if oh, they yeah. get the books in bulk. But like, if they had like a specific book somebody's looking for, maybe they would. I don't know. I think at Barnes and Noble, if they wanted to fucking really fight Amazon, which uh, they must just well, they did get bought out by somebody who apparently knows what they're doing. But focus on indie authors a lot. Like, like these people getting kicked off of Amazon and shit. Get them in there and sell their mm. books in your store. Right. Why the fuck not? Uh, Especially, too, you could do a lot of um, local uh, things, too. Like, figure out where these authors are that are... Like, if you're getting, mm. you know, a lot of traffic from certain authors, figure out where they live. Got to get in contact with them. And mm. then, you you know, either make sure, like, their books are prominent in an area where they're from, because chances are... Yeah, people will buy them. Uh, and, you know, like, signings or greetings, you know, whenever things are hopefully get back to normal. I would wager at this point in time, there's probably more indie authors than traditionally published authors. Like, new authors coming out. Oh, and that's also, like, that's, like, a hard thing to, like, measure, I'd think, yeah. right? Because just even, like, some of the authors that... uh because is, uh, is Nicholas Obergon, is he published through a, like, one of the big... I thought he, like, went through Penguin or something. I could, I can't, I don't remember, I don't... Well, it's in, his books are international, so he has to be through a bigger publisher. Though I do wonder, because, like, I've dabbled in, uh, in the past when I was talking about, like, writing a novel and stuff, I was like, now, what's the move here? Would I just want to get an agent straight up? Probably, like, I think that would be the move. And then try to sell to like one of the you know big four or whatever. But I feel the way things are now, it would almost be more beneficial to just skip all that and just go straight to like a smaller publisher. I still want to get traditionally published. Mm. I wouldn't want to get like nothing against indie publishing. I just don't feel like putting in all that work to market myself. Mm. I know you still have to market yourself a lot through you know traditional publishing. But I feel like if somebody's doing the book cover and the editing for mm. me, that's going to be a lot easier than me having to like do everything myself. And then I release the book and then I go, oh, fuck, I forgot. This one chapter, like, there's fucking plot hole in it mm. I never fixed. Like, if you have a traditional editor, I know you can, you can hire editors, obviously, but that's expensive. Yeah. $1,000 if you want to get, like, a good one. I think, and I'll ask you this, too, like, you got a novel coming out. You don't have one. But mm. if you did have one out, would you try to shop it to, like, a smaller... Probably more genre-specific one, I would imagine, Yeah, if that's what you're writing. So if you're doing, like, a crime fiction or something, you probably want to find a crime fiction publisher like this. Uh, so these, this Hard Case, what did you say that publisher was called? Yeah, the Hard, hard Case um, hard case Crimes novel. So, like, that's, like, a small publisher for yeah. the Hard Case. Yeah, so you'd want, I think that would be uh, better because since that's their focus, that's what their audience is already looking for to buy. Whereas if you go through, like, one of the big publishers, even if they were actually behind you, you might get into all the bookstores and, you know, that might be better for that. But at the same time, it's not like they're specifically gonna be like, oh, this guy who wrote this hard case book, he, you know, he's doing like crime noir. Just throw him in with the lump. He's not a big name. He's a middling author. We don't really give too much of a shit. But if you go through like one of these small ones, they're going to be like, hey, we're going to really push your book yeah. because that's what we do. That's our specific genre. It's our focus. I always look 
when it comes to the pun. Now, granted, it would yes, it, like a goal and a nice thing to have would to be published by one of the big guys, and it would also help you know getting the name out there. But the, like the the little bit of thought that I've put into when it actually comes to the publishing end, I personally think it's better to lean towards a smaller publisher or you know paying for an editor yourself and stuff like that and publishing mm. it yourself because like if you go into a big author or a big publisher the chances are you're going to get your you know you're going to get your paycheck and if it sells it's going to have to sell like a crazy amount for you to probably get anything else it's yeah. probably going to have to hit like a cap like you know what i mean you're probably going to sell so many copies before you can get another like kickback to where if you go to the smaller publisher yourself you're getting more of the revenue back um and you know it, it, it's maybe greater risk but also greater reward yeah because like in you know you know in my youth i've talked about this a lot in my youth i, I listened to icp a lot mm -hmm. and whatever you may say or believe about their music or whatever about them the one thing you can't say about those guys is that they did not put in the work did not put in the hustle you know what i right. mean they did what they had to do and like they even they got picked up by island records after a while mm. but then they eventually just they they just made their own thing slowly put together their own fan base you know that now pretty much gets anything that they put out well the thing about uh pub like for them and you know actual indie publishers is you get all the profit. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, yeah. it, it's a it's a bigger risk, but also it's a bigger reward if it ends up paying off. Well, I'm not exactly sure if the book industry does this, like the publishing industry does the same thing as the record industry, but like the way record companies work, if you like, say you got a, a million dollar advance for your album, that means you have to make at least a million dollars, or else mm. you have to pay the money yeah. back. Yeah. So whatever you know, so if you make the album makes nine hundred thousand dollars, then you got to pay a hundred thousand dollars back to them. So if you like, get like a fifteen twenty thousand dollar advance on your book, I would assume that would be the same. So would you have to sell you know so many copies to? Would you have to hit a copy amount selling point, or would you just have to hit twenty thousand dollars and then that, pay them back? That or in a hopefully when everything gets back to normal no paper shortage things like a lot of things are like the print on demand yeah so like you think and then hopefully you won't have to worry about that as aspect mm -hmm. as much it's just yeah. i think going through like a small publisher when you're starting out would be a good move well and again that that again you're uh if you're doing that way you're building up that that fan mm -hmm. base that you could hopefully after a few years and, a, and a few books it might even help you like look you go to a you know to a big publisher China and they're like well we don't know but it's like look I put out these three or four books and I'm at least getting I'm selling at least however many copies of it you know what I mean hopefully good enough that it makes them be like oh well, maybe then mm -hmm. if we that give you a bigger bigger chance like a, a wider net that you will possibly sell more the issue with um the smaller publishers one probably not gonna get much money yeah um. And you and you have to be careful too because you don't want to do the whole vanity press thing on accident where it's like, hey, you know, we want to put your book out, but we need some money to promote it. And like, if you're paying anything, get out of there. That's not that's yeah. that's vanity press. You're not you're you're never paying to put your book out unless you're doing it yourself. If you're going to a publisher, they're paying. That's that's the point. That's so, why they're there. Yeah, and I but the few things you got to watch out for, uh, and I've seen this with some author buddies of mine that kind of got screwed is one. 
the big one is like the licensing rights. If you, which I think uh, Polly Cooley might have had problems with this with the Black Series, right? I was, think he's still. Like, I think he still has like a year or so left before he gets the rights back. to the Yeah, list. so he, that's why he hasn't wrote it. He like he, he did two books in the series, and then he you know doesn't have the rights, so he's not writing anymore. And I think he's even like I have them. I pretty much have them written out, but he's like I'm not doing anything with them until yeah. until I get the rights back. And I don't know what his particular deal with the, the uh, I forget the name of the Pope Severed Hess head something or like something. that. I don't know how big of a publisher that was, but uh, you have to be careful with the rights. Now, if you're doing one-off books, which is what I would do if I was... I wouldn't do a series with a traditional publisher unless they were going to... Or a smaller pub- publisher, unless they were going to give me a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, I would probably just stick with like one book that's not going to be connected to anything. So, hey, I got this one book. And you have to remember, if you're doing that, you're not doing this for the money. Like you said, you're doing it to grow your audience and to actually have a book out on the market and uh, hopefully this company does enough in sales and has enough of an audience. That's something you'd also have to look into is what their actual sales are. You would want to, or at least you would hope that your book would do decent through them. And even if you don't get any money off of the sales, really, uh, that would make people want to read your work more. So even if you did go indie after that, or you went to a traditional big publisher, you're like, hey, my last book, you know, did this many units with this small publisher and I got this many, you know, my fan base has grown. So they'd be more willing to take a chance on you. If and, you're and, un, you know, more unknown. And also too, it's, I think if you started out smaller press or self publish, it, it, the mistakes, you know, are kind of easier to learn. Mm-hmm. And because chances are, you know, your first couple of books, if you're trying to get them to a, a, a traditional publishing, they're probably not even gonna, you know what I mean? Uh, a thing in comics is, you know, um, you know, one that always asks questions like, oh, I want to get into comics. How do you get into comics? And it's like, you have to make comics. You have to show you have people to in charge that you can either write a script that's on time or, you know, you can go, get the job pages you to show drawn. consistency. Yeah, you, that, that is something that you can actually do. It's quality and consistency. You have to prove that yeah. you have those so, attributes so i'd imagine it'd probably be easier to do that on a smaller mm. scale before you know before you trying to go up to the big gut big dogs yeah now with any traditional publishing you have a lot of risk uh that you might not with indie publishing it's like we talked about the licensing with the small ones the, with the small publishers you always run the risk of them just going out of business yeah and then what the i don't know what happens to your work do they still own the rights to the work if they're still like an llc or whatever like they're still an actual business even though they went bankrupt or whatever i would imagine they would still own it for whatever the time period is maybe yeah. they would sell it back to you or maybe you just have to wait till it expires that's always tricky if you go with the big publisher good luck getting your license back probably i would imagine those deals you're not getting it back forever um but the main problem with those is one book deals uh, everybody talks about, oh, oh, if I could get a book deal, you get a three book deal or something. That used to be the dream, right? Mm. Here's the problem with the book deals. One, you're stuck. Like you have to turn in these, you're, oh, yeah. you're, unless you want to have to, you know, give that money back. Unless you want to give that money back uh, and get screwed, especially if you spend the money already and you get sued and go to court. Uh, you have to get those books out on time. And two, even if you do this and like say the first book's a smash fucking hit. And you make it big, and all of a sudden you're on Stephen King's level. People wanted to read your work. Well, you are not going to be able to renegotiate your contract. Yeah, you're not going to get more money for your other two books you yeah, have to get. Because you're you already locked in. Yeah. So that twenty thousand dollar advance you got, and whatever shit royalty percentage you accepted, and you know not having the movie or international or TV mm. rights, like you let them have all that. 
well, now you're a smash fucking hit. Netflix just bought your book yeah. for, to make it a movie. You're not getting and anything. You're lucky if you get to be a background character yeah. or make a cameo in it. You'll be lucky if they let you write the script. Maybe yeah. then you'll get some money that way. But And then you got two other books come out, and they're smash hits, but you're not seeing a fucking dime from Like, that would be, in my opinion, one like, it's. I mean, it'd be bittersweet because yeah, you finally lived your dream, becoming a, a successful author. But at the same time, you're not making any money mm. now, uh, and you're probably working a shitty day job still. Yeah, because like that twenty grand, like that's up front. Yeah, like that's what you get paid, like until the next book. Yeah, so that's. I mean, you have to get, probably if you're going with like big publisher, want to get an agent. You want somebody to know what they're doing and be able to explain these contracts because they make them as convoluted as possible. You want them to be able to explain the contracts to you and be like, hey, you can ask to, you know, get the movie rights and or the Netflix or TV show rights or however that works. But, you know, the money they're going to pay you for this is going to be way less now. So that's something you want to do. Personally, if I have confidence in myself yeah. and I'm trusting and I'm betting on myself, I would want those international right. rights, yeah, the movie you- rights. I would want all the rights I can possibly get. And at that point, you're probably almost getting the book published without getting paid. Like, I would imagine they're not going to give you much money for it. And they're not going to push it at all then. No. Uh, they're probably going to be dicks about it. If you go through the smaller publishers, you probably don't have that problem. Uh, I think the main thing is just the licensing. Like, you don't have the rights to your work. And uh, you're, like I said, off the off Jump Street, you're probably not making any money off of that. So, uh, I would still say if you're starting out, try to, you know, small publishers and just build up a following if you can. Maybe if you have multiple books that you've written already, don't give them you know, your magnum opus. Yeah. Send them like your fucking, you know, pulp book you wrote or your small one, or even if it is a series, not the one you're super invested in, just one that you think people would like. Almost like would you go with magazines? If you're submitting stories to magazines, like short stories, I would say most of the time, those aren't going to be the stories that you think are going to be the best stories you've ever written. Those are just like, okay, this will work for the magazine. I'll sell this. I Because when you sell something, that's what you're doing. You're selling it. You don't yeah. own it anymore. So you sell... A story to a magazine. You're like, all right, I'm willing to take a couple hundred bucks for this story to be not mine anymore. That's pretty much what you're doing. So you have to accept that. Um, and like in the book world, that's what's going to happen. It's like, hey, you're selling your work. It's it sounds dirty when you think of it like that. I'm selling myself. I'm selling my work, and that means that I won't be mine anymore. My baby that I spent years crafting and molding and forming and took such good care of. I'm just going to sell it to this person and it's never going to be mine again. Which makes you think like like people who create like fine art, like paintings and stuff. Could you imagine if you painted what you think is your masterpiece? And even if you sold it for $10 million, like it's not yours anymore. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. That'd be fucking weird. So Spencer Church, have you taken away anything from this bullshit session? No more than normal. That's good. Do you have any aspirations of uh, publishing anything? Like in any context, like, hey, I want to... My goal was, because I know you talked before, I don't remember if you talked on air about doing a short story collection or yourself. Yeah. Would that be self-published or would you try to sell that to somebody or? Uh, I would, I'm thinking it'd have to be either self-published or small, you know, smaller press, but probably leaning at least to the the self, at least at first, just, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because also doing it yourself also gives you a good idea on if, you know, when you go to a publisher's like, 
no, you don't have to do it that way. Like, I know yeah. what you have. You're just trying to, you know, do it a weird way or trying to, you know, wrangle money out of me or, you know, or something like, you know what I mean? So right. it doesn't help doing it yourself so you know the process and what you have to do, even if you're going to eventually have other people do it. It's probably good to at least experiment with self-publishing, even if you don't have any aspirations to be an indie author. Just like you said, just to kind of figure things out and get the experience of doing it and how things work and, and stuff. And, and the, the, the cool thing, too, is, like, I, I would imagine, like, if you're self-publishing yourself, and, like, say you self-publish, you know, your novel that you're working on. Right. And then, but and then, say, like, a couple years down the line, you get a big following. I'm sure you could probably take that same novel. You can sell to, yeah. Yeah, and sell, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, because you own the rights 100%. They'll probably tell you, hey, obviously take it off the fucking market. Like, you can't sell it through Amazon or anything anymore. We're going to sell it. Like, okay. That's always interesting is people like uh, Andy Weir who just, like, had a book that they wrote and didn't. I think he just had his up for free online. And then uh, it became a giant hit and he sold it for lots of money. Now he's, like, three or four novels deep now. Yeah. He's a good guy. That's who we should get on the podcast. Probably could. I just feel dumb talking to him, probably. Oh, I feel like such an idiot. Very smart. I have been thinking about getting more. I've been thinking about. Here, we'll spitball this for five minutes or less. I've been thinking of ideas. This would be my own endeavor for a podcast since I got the fucking fancy expensive mic. I might as well use it. I was doing thinking of different themes. Uh, true crime podcasts are very popular. Yes. I wouldn't do a fiction one where I create my own story. It'd just be like, oh, the Black Dahlia and, you know, go into that. Because I could also make YouTube videos out of those, too, with my, you know, the podcast uh, narration overlaid just on, like, static images. Not static images, like, moving images and stuff. But uh, I was thinking of that. Um, I thought of one that would be cool be, like, Mythic Lands, where, you know, each episode would be discussing, like, you know, Middle Earth or the Hyperbian Age or the Lost City of Atlantis, you know, things like yeah. that. I think that would be cool and be very fruitful. Uh, but I would like to talk to a lot of people, so I was thinking... See, the problem is it couldn't just be, it'd be more like a creator's podcast, I guess, where we could get like, like how we got Nicholas Obergon and Benjamin Cross and like different guests. Because I have a lot of people that have asked me, hey, you know, if you ever need somebody on the podcast, I'd love to. And I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe they always think about it. But uh, usually, because this is specific to writing, that could be, you know, other stuff. Um, you know, it could just be anybody. And then you just have conversations with about whatever, you know, they're passionate about. It doesn't have to be writing necessarily. It'd be sculptors or different things like that. So I think that would be fun too. So Yeah, because I think it also would help just seeing other people's process or how they do things, even if it's not in the same medium that you work in. Well, that's what I'm always very interested in is just people's creative processes. I love hearing about it. So and I know if I do, I'm sure there's other people who would like to hear about it too because – a lot of times when I listen to different writing podcasts and stuff, the main thing I kind of want them to talk about is like, you know, what do you do? You sit at a desk? Do yeah. you use Microsoft Word? Do you use pen and paper? Like, I actually like the 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 gritty actual details of the writing process, not necessarily just like, oh yeah, this is how I get my ideas. Like, I don't really like. Come on, hmm. you're a writer. You just make shit up. Yeah, you're, we know where you get your ideas from. You're a professional liar. <laughs> yeah, but like painters, you know, are. Uh, graffiti artists like rappers even or musicians like there's so many it's just like so interesting like how do you get in the zone to write like you know or how do you you know when you're creating writing music like you know what what, what do you go for walks you know just whatever stupid shit but it's just like really interesting to talk to people about that and i never really get those from podcasts like sometimes they touch on it uh people are like yeah you know i like to go to cafes and just kind of zone out and 
But then, so, like, the fucking meathead guest is always just like, oh, that's cool. So what kind of music you listen to when you're right? Mm. And it's like, oh, fuck off. I want to I hear how this guy creates his art. His art. So, uh, Spencer. Yes. The uh, the Liberian Lesbian Liquidator Church. <laughs> now, that just sounds like a murder. In a- <laughs> okay, can't be liquidating. Yeah. That's just the first word I thought of. Isn't there a book you wanted to talk about? Yeah, there is. I don't know when we're going to do this, but it's a very short book. This episode is dropping Tuesday, so if you look at last week's, this last Wednesday, uh, we had a drunken book review from Ashley Hatter about... The book, The Gutter in the Grave by Ed McBain. And he gave it a five out of five whiskey shots. And his review really made me want to read the book, which is uh, rare because usually I'm not influenced by reviews, even if it's from people I trust. Uh, but this, he made it sound so good. Uh, I picked up me and Spencer a copy that we'll be doing a book of the month eventually. We still got to finish our Haruki Mirakami, Elephant Vanishes. Uh, we wanted to read a Walter Mosley book for February. February, and we also talked about doing a book of the month for Colony, which is a big boy. I'm still saying March. <laughs> Same March for Colony. It's like it's March 31 days? Something like that. I feel that, like yeah. we need a month with 31 days for uh, that book. But anyway, that's all I had to say. Uh, also, because we were talking about you know small publisher, these hard case crime publishing I'd like to look into that. I like the old pulp style. Yeah. I like old pulp books. I like the covers. I like old pulp books. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with writing pulp type of fiction. It's fast paced and fun. Not everything has to be fucking full of melodrama and all this, you know. Oh. Word salads. Allegory for dumb shit. Not an allergy, Spencer. Allegory. Are you sure? I'm going to remind you of that every week until we fucking memorize it. That still makes me so mad. How do we fuck out of At least you caught it before putting it out. Oh my god, we would have sounded so stupid if we just talked about analogy. People are like, what is it what analogy are they talking about? What are they comparing? How is World War II an analogy for Middle Earth? Like that doesn't make any sense. No, Lord of the Rings was an, it's not an analogy. If you listen to our Purple Pros episode, right, there's a correction. An allegory, people say, for World War II or World War One and Tolkien disagreed very heartily. He doesn't like allegory. We so egregiously said analogy, and we just stuck with that through the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. And we said that word so many times. Mm-hmm. Analogy. Fucking idiots. No argument on this end of the and table. And we want to get published. <laughs> I could be the Joker if I had the ambition. Maybe. Not not because of the laugh, just because of the murder. Chaos. <laughs> murder. Chaos. So anyway, folks, we uh check out I forgot if I did the whole outro. <laughs> uh drunkpenwriting.com. You can check out our work. You can go to Twitter at drunkpenwriting and Instagram and Facebook. You should follow us and like us at Drunken Pen Writing. And uh let's see. Anything else? Do you have any parting words, Spencer, the Liberian lesbian lobotomist church? No! (laughs) That's worse!